0: Welcome to True Democracy's first podcast. I am here with Duke Cooney, who is a student of law and an environmental lo- lobbyist. He's in the third year of a four-year JD Duke program. He's working on a certificate in trial and appellate advocacy and capital lawyering. Did I say that right, Duke? And yeah, with his degree, Duke plans to. Pursue public office pursuing advocacy for the environment and social issues. It's worked in California State Assembly and State Senate and is working as an environmental lobbyist currently. Welcome to my podcast, Duke. How are you today?
1: Doing good. Happy to be here.
0: Good. Thank you for agreeing to see me. I've been developing this idea for nonprofit true democracy dot global, which I'll tell you about in greater detail in a bit for about a year and a half now i think it's been it was on my birthday in 19 or 2019 when i came up with the idea and one of my projects or notes that i wrote down was to have a conversation with you about about certain things it's been a while since i had my high school civics class where i remember learning quite a bit about how our government works It was uh, very interesting to me, but I never pursued that education any further than that. I remember the basics and recent events has got me pondering how our system evolved into what it is and why, and trying to understand. uh, I think in uh, understanding the evolution of system, we can respect it as part of a bigger picture and understand it not as a static thing, but as something that changes and evolves over time and that will continue to evolve. So hopefully you'll be able to shed some light on on this, some questions. But first, let's uh, talk about democracy, do you mind?
1: Yeah, let's do it.
0: Yeah, what, what do you think of democracy as a system in general?
1: Um, I think in principle and in moral, grounding it's amazing um i think it's you know such a great idea to involve everyone on an equal footing um which at the time when it was first originating in, in greece and rome it was such a foreign idea of having um people rule themselves generally it was just generational kings and queens um, all the way back to Mesopotamia so it's, it was a, 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 a different concept um, but I think over time it's just been twisted and sort of morphed back into that aristocracy type system mm-hmm. so it's it's not really coinciding with the, with the current or with the intended function which is for okay. everyone to have an equal vote now it's it's easily manipulated they're you know algorithms you can run to um, you know improve your chances um, of getting votes or losing votes um, so it's it's very you know mechanical now i, I feel like you know, democracy has turned into data points
0: uh, do you, how, how are these um, algorithms run do you know anything about them and...
1: yeah so um i had a um a statistical software for uh government science uh, in um in undergrad and there was a software that we used it was spss and basically you you have these systems of data with people's names ages um, their education ranges uh, where they live you know, what their, you know, income is. And so they run through these basic questions of, you know, how likely is this person to support gay marriage? Or how likely is this for a person to support a tax increase? And through just these algorithms, they've morphed, they take that, um, that just basic data, and they can figure out what is the likelihood of, you know, this group of people voting for me if this is the main issue, or this group of people asking me. And that's also tied in with polling that they do, um, asking people from those different groups specific questions about policy. So then you you almost have a, you know, manufactured platform that people can pick and choose from based upon what's current and what's relevant, versus you know what do people actually need
0: when you say people do you mean the people in uh, that are running for office or the people that are voting or represented
1: um i mean the the people who are being represented who ultimately do vote in the democracy okay um they're just choosing from this manufactured platform that is created by polling just average people on, on what are the main issues and then they you know structure their arguments to fit that so that they can capture the most votes possible um, mm-hmm. so it's not really a you know a platform or or a true reform it's really just a a survey of, of what's hot at the time
0: and this is based on polling
1: yeah a lot of it is based on polling and data and uh, questions and surveys that they ask
0: is, is it data that's collected during polling or data that might have been collected on people over time through various uh, internet platforms? Both. Both,
1: both. both, yeah, people are still polling for things. Uh, for my job, we uh, were working on a ballot measure proposition um, that mm-hmm. would have been on the last ballot, but um, we worked with a pollster and I, I think it was like 20,000 or a hundred thousand, I'm not sure, to have them poll on uh they i think it was a thousand participants they had and they asked them very basic questions i think it was three um on which version of this language are they more likely to support Um, and that helped us decide if we were to go forward with a ballot measure this is how we should frame it people care about xyz the most Mm -hmm. so and that's just one example and they do that for everything so you know Republican and, and, and Democrats, you know you do the same system. and they still rely on these data and these surveys to shape their platforms to capture the most votes possible. Since we do have this dual system, you don't really have any middle ground, especially okay. in, the, in the current climate.
0: When you say dual system, are you referring to the the two-party system? Yeah, okay. Do you know where that came from? How that came to be? The evolution of the the party system.
1: Um, to be honest, I I've learned it before. Uh, I know that you know it changed from the there was the Whig Party at one point. There was uh, the Anti-Federalists versus the Federalists. Uh, then there was the the old Republican Party and the old Democrat Party. Uh, and then sometime in the 60s, the party switched. So in all intensive purposes, Democrats became Republicans and Republicans became Democrats.
0: Do you know how that happened?
1: Yeah. So uh, it all has to do with race. <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: Yeah. So during the um, the civil rights movement under Lyndon B. Johnson, um, there were obviously you can assume fierce opposition to having any sort of civil rights bill, especially from the um, the Dixiecrats, so the Democratic senators from the South. So what ended up happening is they moved forward, this legislation happened, but all of the Dixiecrats left the Democratic Party and went to the Republican Party. So uh, there was a massive shift politically there and the people followed suit and the platform adjusted to the new wave of people joining them who happened to be more conservative a little bit racist um and against civil rights for black folks so you know you hear a lot of people reference especially modern day republicans over the party of lincoln but mm, at some point you, you really switched and moved away from that because the party switched so if lincoln were alive today likely he would be a, a democrat what we know is a democrat
0: i see so was this sort was this sort of a natural process that just occurred evolved naturally
1: no i think uh in in any case it's always huge events that make drastic changes that no one can predict no no one assumed that the democrat the democratic senators would really leave the party over this uh-huh. uh, but they but they did and because they did the people who vote for them did And so you see a shift away from having any democratic senators in the south uh, to having republican senators because they change parties Mm -hmm. and and, yeah
0: so that does actually sound to me like a a natural process it wasn't contrived or anything it just Mm -hmm. sort of evolved based on whatever whatever uh, um, precluded it anyway Mm -hmm. okay back to democracy do you see any limits to democracy that might make it a, a non-viable solution for government in, in, in certain cases?
1: Um, I would say the limit of democracy is, is truly ensuring that everyone has a voice in politics. Mm-hmm. It's not really possible outside of having them cast their vote for someone to speak for them so it's still a representative government where i'm not speaking as a private citizen but i'm empowering another of my citizens to speak for me and you know depending on your district size five hundred thousand others a million others mm-hmm. uh, so it's you're very limited because you look in a district and they shape them to overwhelmingly favor one party but within that party, there are a million different races, a lot of different people from different ages and backgrounds, different beliefs. Uh, and it's, it's not always just the big, the big hot button issues like abortion and gay rights and, and gun rights. Sometimes it boils down to small things like local taxes. Some people support local taxes. Some people don't. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but you have this cornucopia of, of beliefs Well, your representative has to vote on things and they can't always do what you specifically want. So in that case, you know, you're somewhat having a say in who gets elected, but you're not really having your voice mm-hmm. be represented all the time. It might be considered at one point, but is that really democracy? Does everyone really have an equal say?
0: hmm. So. OK, so, so um, our current government with this representation system Uh, do you think it's a good representation of democracy it sounds like maybe not
1: uh yeah i mean i feel like as far as humans can contrive i think it's our best stab at what democracy is
0: okay and this is the only
1: concept we really have so
0: okay yeah so far so far Do do you know how democracy worked in the ancient greek system when they first came up with it
1: uh, from what I remember learning in school, there were. It's a lot like the Iowa caucuses. Right. Uh, if you know anything about that, okay, so during the election, they have their primary where their caucus elects who they want to be president. Um, it's just for Iowa, it's just the Democrats and, or I guess Republicans too. So what they do is everyone who wants to vote crowds in a big auditorium, and you go to the corner of with the candidate you support so all the bernie supporters would be on the left side of the room all of the uh pete Buttigieg um supporters would just cuddle on that side of the room and, and wait until they're counted and then you would have people standing uh, who represent all the candidates and they'll say their piece They're, oh you should vote for my candidate because they do xyz and then oh. the next person will go and the next person will go and then they'll go to the corners and they'll be counted and that's how they voted well back in ancient greece that's pretty much what they did everyone crowded everyone who could vote so you had to be a citizen um, and you had to be man obviously so once you meet those criteria everyone crowded around and you basically shouted everyone politics. The politicians would shout their piece to try to reach as many people Mm -hmm. as possible. And the groups would would vote. Everyone there would have a vote, one vote.
0: Yeah, I've seen a similar thing happen in some of my social groups that I'm a member of Mm -hmm. in trying to determine who's going to run an event next year. So the two people that want to, or more, that want to run the event the next year, they do the exact same thing. They say their piece, and then people line up behind them and it kind of creates this natural flow where where people gravitate towards the person that they want to run the event next year and if one of the persons has too many people like say there's three or four one of the actual candidates might give up and just walk over and support somebody else and then all of his followers might go follow him and then pretty soon there's a a, um, a big mass on one side yeah every... that's 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 democracy yeah it sounds like a dangerous thing to do on a ship though right
1: yeah <laughs> probably
0: The <laughs> ship might fall over anyway have you heard of this concept of um liquid democracy
1: i have not
0: okay so this this is something that evolves with with technology that we have today And liquid democracy basically is a concept that describes um, decision-making voting process where people can choose their representatives. So they can either vote directly on the issue. If you imagine the big room with everybody in the room, they can vote themselves or they can delegate it to whoever they want. So we don't have to have all the same representative. We can delegate to whoever we want, and then that person can delegate to whoever they want. And eventually, it boils down to a smaller amount of people that can actually vote on, on an issue.
1: Yeah, I feel like that's a lot like what we do.
0: Yeah, I think I think the difference, though, is that in our current system, we basically end up with two candidates that we're, we're voting for within a particular um, political office. Whereas in this this case, we can cast our vote to whoever we want in that position. So there could be several people in that position, and then they come together and vote. Does that make sense?
1: A little bit. I feel like I'm starting to conceptualize it.
0: Yeah, let me, let me read a couple of descriptions yeah. of it. Liquid de- democracy. Is a new form for collective decision making that gives voters full decisional control. Voters can either vote directly on issues or they can delegate their voting power to delegates of their choice to vote on their behalf. So it is represent representatives, but they can choose whoever they want to carry their vote. Not to Okay. Yeah.
1: So so that person that they empowered would then be empowered to empower someone
0: else. Yes
1: and then the voting would continue until there's only a few people.
0: Yeah, right, right. Yeah,
1: so I guess or, it's,
0: it's. Yeah.
1: yeah, I feel like I, I picture it with what we have, but I guess more so, will be, mm-hmm. I guess now you choose from lists of people. So I guess in your scenario, you could write in someone's name, whoever you wanted.
0: Right, and then that, and it, it's designed to work with software. So mm-hmm. basically you delegate the vote to somebody and then they can accept that vote or reject it or whatever. I, I mean, there's millions of different ways it can be run. I think there's um, a couple of governments that are using this. God, I can't remember where, unfortunately. And uh, anyway, it's a relatively new concept that is evolved with uh, technologies. And then back to the limits of democracy, because there are Two arguments that I read about the limits of democracy. One is that people are not educated enough to vote in most cases and on many issues. And the other one is that it takes a lot of time. What do you think about those?
1: I think it takes a lot of effort, to be honest. Uh-huh. Um, you know, the, our lowest turnout is always in midterm elections. And you know, people always ask, "Well, why? Why are midterms? Why do you have half of the people across the country uh, who had just voted? Why do they all of a sudden stop two years later?" Well, it's not a sexy election. There's not a president up for reelection. There's not these huge national issues pulling you in. Uh, it's just your local, your local representatives. And unless they're making huge waves, you likely are not interested or are not motivated to go out of your way, uh, take off work. Uh, move your schedule around to either go down and fill out a ballot um, or even fill out the one you have and send it back in. It really has to be something that that you want to do, something that motivates you to do. And I think we're getting there, especially now with COVID and and most states are transitioning to vote by mail. So it's a lot more accessible. Mm -hmm. But in previous years, it was really just people were not motivated, people were not engaged. And yeah, if you're a candidate, whoever that is in the president races is, is not up for re-election. You're not really motivated to, to show out mm-hmm. like you did to get them in office.
0: I see. So that, that, um, that covers the aspect of it. It just taking a lot of effort.
1: Yeah, That's I think it's effort. Honestly, I don't really think it's education. Uh-huh. Um, I think most states have made it pretty simple on the process. Sometimes getting the documentation to uh, become a voter is difficult. Sometimes if you're homeless or you don't necessarily have a current address, uh, there are a lot of states that have mechanisms that'll just take you off the voter rolls. So you might think you're registered to vote because you voted four years ago, but because you changed addresses and you didn't update the, the state, you now are ineligible to vote and you don't have same day voter registration. So now you just have to sit out of the election. That happens a lot. Um, but aside from those circumstances, I think it's voting is pretty easy to do. Mm-hmm. It just really takes the effort and just the drive to want to do it.
0: So the, the easier we make it, the more people will likely turn up.
1: Turn yeah, up. honestly, the easier we make it um, and just, I feel like there's this huge barrier in politics that our social our social culture has pretty much adopted, which is politicians are these out of touch people. Politics is is pretend. It's just this function that no one really can have any control over, and I feel like everyone's so so separated from what's happening on on Capitol Hill that they don't care to be engaged on the day-to-day interworkings of what's going on, they don't care enough to continue to support their local candidates, uh, and they're just, they're so far removed from what's happening, they're willing to accept whatever the election result is, and then they'll come back again in the general election um, when there's more issues that that really capture their attention. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's really a, a popularity contest, and the big, you know, the big class president comes every four years, and that's when you see the most people.
0: Yeah. Okay. So, and then in our our presidential election, well, well, let me get back to the voting process that that we currently have, and I don't know the details about it. You know, we have the um, mail-in ballots and in-person ballots, and do you know anything about that process and how it works and i know there's you know there's a lot of claims about voter voting fraud in our past election do you think that that has any merit and is our system parodying now
1: yeah the voter fraud thing was uh unfounded and proven unfounded by both republican states and government and and, uh, democratic states and um because Every state deals with voting on their own. They set their own rules. That's something that the federal government gives to them to set up. So most states have created a bipartisan commission. So everyone in the room, when all those votes are being ripped open and counted, you have Republican, watchers, you have democratic watchers, and they're watching all of the ballots. When there's a question that comes up, both sides come over and they look and they, they would talk together to figure out, you know, do we give this person this vote? Do we just toss the, the, the ballot out? So there are these observers and wa- uh, uh, watchers who are just uh, monitoring the entire process, every ballot that gets opened, every ballot that's tabulated. So it's difficult for there to be fraud in those situations. So that that was really uh, it was interesting to see just the bipartisan uh, rebuke of Trump for even bringing that up as a as a um, as an issue, even from states like Georgia, who uh, historically have disenfranchised voters, but mm-hmm. them for them to reaffirm that you know our election system is fine the way it is, um, all of our votes were counted under the law, and there are no issues, there are no uh, manufactured numbers. Okay. Um, yeah. But um, yeah, so, so essentially you mail in your ballots. Um, some states have laws where they count election day in-person voting first. So they'll count all of those ballots, and then they'll go to the mail-in of those who've sent it either from within the state or from other overseas. But they're all opened in the presence of, like I was saying, those watchers who are observing the entire process. And um, yeah, and they tabulate the votes. Um, they have districts that send into another area who send into another area who then report back to the Secretary of State, and then those numbers are released to the public.
0: Sounds like something we could put our faith in.
1: Yeah, it's really complicated, but I don't know. I feel like I had my like faith renewed in voting when I looked up my voter history, and it was all online, every single election I'd voted in. Uh, so it was it was cool to see I, I had always thought you know is my vote actually counted does this, uh-huh. does this matter but every single one it said accepted accepted and
0: it, it didn't tell you who you voted for right just that it was no
1: no 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 but I know
0: <laughs> well you know yeah um, what about keeping votes anonymous um obviously that's something that we do is um, is that important?
1: Um, I don't think so. Uh, I mean, I, I guess some people may be embarrassed by things they're voting on. Some people may um, feel that it's unsafe or, or against what are those around them would agree with. And that's mm-hmm. why they choose to be anonymous or choose to lie about it. Uh, but with all of my choices, I, I've been pretty vocal because I've had discussions with my friends and close network about the various propositions and the candidates, what they mean and why I choose them. So I, I feel like if if we really want a true democracy, we should be vocal. We shouldn't pretend to be anonymous. Mm-hmm. Uh, we should be vocal about what we choose and and throw in the why. This is why, this is what I believe. And this is this is why, this is why I'm choosing this candidate versus this candidate. Mm-hmm despite what you're doing, because everyone has these lived experiences that only they can truly uh, explain or or interpret. So if, if you're not being vocal when you're just say um, a closet Trump supporter, no one can ever challenge your beliefs. You can never grow as a person. You'll stay in your circle of belief and
0: mm-hmm. that's
1: where you'll remain. You'll never be challenged with a question about their integrity or, or anything like that that maybe maybe would make you think twice about supporting them. Um, or help me as a friend understand you a little more of what really matters to you and why that has driven you to support this particular candidate.
0: Mm-hmm. I think it, what it comes down to is a certain maturity in being able to, to discuss and accept differences.
1: Yeah, and just to own it. I mean, if yeah. you're a diehard Trump-supporting conservative Republican, that's fine, but be open about it Yeah. Um, so that those around you can understand another facet of who you are and maybe if they they're not accepting you after finding out this you know central part of who you are and your ideology maybe that's a signal for you to expand your group and find others who you who can be an outlet for that mm-hmm. or change your whole friend group to reflect uh you know inclusion of people who also share those similar beliefs
0: yeah that's a good point i think um being open leads to discussion and and in um, growth. So back back to this two party system. And uh, do you know do you know how that evolved two party system? We kind of touched on it before, but why do we have two parties instead of you know three or well we do have three or four but but the the two parties seem to be the majority of uh, the weight in our our government.
1: yeah, it's just the way the founding fathers saw fit to be honest. Uh, it's it's something that they saw stable, something that they thought would be long lasting and would overall be beneficial to us.
0: Two parties or mm-hmm. okay were were there multiple parties at that point?
1: Um, I think. <sighs> Before the, I want to say before one of the first major wars, there were the Federalists and the Anti-Federalists, oh. and, and that was like the early days um, of, I want to say, like the American Revolution days, because um, that was one of the first groups I remember learning in school, the Federalists and the Anti-Federalists. One group supported England and the other did not. Okay yeah so i mean i guess the names have evolved the times Mm -hmm. but the idea of two two parties two major parties has always played a role in our politics we've never had a real third party candidate maybe in local election where they're nonpartisan but Mm -hmm. in national um, elections we have not had a major third party from the the beginning
0: beginning. roth perot independent party it uh, was was a pretty made a lot of weight in that election anyway one election so why why do you think the two-party system was favored by our founding fathers
1: i don't know to be honest um i think that they had seen parliament that maybe was as fractured as it is now with, with all these different uh, groups vying for power of this single legislature. Um, and they found it to be simpler, something that could balance and, and just have this sort of duality. Um, I'm not too sure. I, I feel like if I could reform the system, I would probably try to incorporate a lot more beliefs than they did. So maybe that that had something to do with it. You know, at the time, who's, what real ideology were they favoring? You know, If you weren't a male, you weren't of a certain age, you weren't landowning, you weren't white, you didn't really fit into the conversation of what is democracy, what is America gonna look like? So with only the beliefs of that select group at the time, they probably figured this dual system would be fine. Mm -hmm. When I think of it, and I'm thinking you have to incorporate women and people of different races and ethnicities and cultures and religions, if you truly wanted to serve everyone and have this inclusion of voices, you'd have to have multiple parties that have at least some say in how government functions. And at the time, maybe they didn't really have the need to account for that. Uh, Even the modern day parliament has uh, two major parties, although there are other smaller parties faction type parties that have maybe two or three seats in parliament Uh, but then you have those two major parties that always have the you know 150 seats and to 150 seats and then the five or six lesser parties have two or three seats in parliament but those who make decisions are always those top two biggest ones Mm -hmm. or those who just overall have the plurality or majority of the legislature or parliament so yeah sort of a long winded approach i think that they just were satisfied with with having just this opposing force of you know overall republicans versus democrats our beliefs aren't too much different so it's not going to make a huge difference we don't need to create room for additional viewpoints
0: mm-hmm. i think <clears throat> what you said it is our beliefs aren't that different at that time it, it seems at least in today's world the beliefs do seem very different and that's uh really polarizing and um it seems um dangerous <laughs> and and uh without a solution as, as well mm-hmm. Do you, do you imagine like a no party system might work
1: no i don't because A no party system are local elections, because most of them are nonpartisan. Mm -hmm. Everyone just runs. In California, it's the top two primary, which whatever top two candidates, regardless, Republican, Democrat, those two move on to the general election.
0: I think I lost your sound a little bit.
1: Oh, can you hear me?
0: Yeah, that's a little better. No, no. Okay.
1: Yeah. So I was just saying that um, we have a two part two top two primary system. So we have our primary election. No matter if you're Republican, you're Democrat, the top two move on to the general election. In local elections, if you have more than 51% of the vote, there is no general, you just win. But what happens is candidates will run for local office, say sheriff, um, local board of supervisors, city council. Um, and they won't have to state whether they're conservative or they're progressive. They can just have a general platform, and what you ultimately get is a candidate who maybe seemed to fit your ideology during the election, but in reality, they still favor one of those two polarizing areas of our our government, which are you're either really conservative or you're really democratic. There really is no middle ground, so even if you look at some of these nonpartisan local government structures, you can tell who the Democrats are and who the Republicans are. By the way, they vote. They all vote together. Mm-hmm. And there it's, it's difficult for there to really be uh, too expansive of an idea of this dual system of government, because it, it's boiled down to just those two solid things. You know, what does it mean to be progressive and, and more democratic, and what does it mean to be more conservative and more fiscally responsible often when it comes to be more conservative Um, so it's it's difficult because even if you don't say what you are you still will reflect that in -hmm. the way that you represent us in government and I don't think that shielding us from the information of which party you largely associate with uh, will benefit us at all as voters because then we'll really be in the dark because you could have even in Sacramento, we have this a huge diverse population. We're really progressive, but you have a majority on our board of supervisors who are conservative. Mm-hmm. And there's one swing vote and he's he ran as progressive, but he makes conservative votes. So you have candidates like him who take advantage of the fact that they don't really have to choose a party. So they don't have to really associate with any, platform list that you may you may like and you may understand as someone that that thinks like you like you have your democratic platform you have your republican platform and one favors tax increases the other the other doesn't more social programs less social programs so and i feel like once you tell someone oh i'm republican you can you already start to formulate okay but what does that mean what sorts of things are you for what sorts of things are you against Um, and i think that having the identification helps Mm -hmm. I think that once you're in government, though, I don't think you should be required to vote with your party.
0: Oh, is is that the case?
1: Largely, yes, um, especially in the state legislature in California, but more so in, in Congress. And Are in the they Senate. Re-
0: required to, or is it just like a social norm?
1: Mm, I think it is a norm of their position and it's it's obviously is not a written requirement because technically there are representatives and they're free to do what we want no. but if you want to get agenda passed you have to have a majority of votes and that requires your entire caucus of people to vote as one and in in the uh, current house there's about a three member difference so Democrats can only pass things if they convince every single one of their Democrats, minus three people, or two, I guess, for them to move legislation. So you need all of these hundreds of people to come together and agree on these singular issues. Otherwise, nobody's going to get anything done.
0: Unless if some of the Republican side agrees with it as well.
1: Exactly. So the same uniformity in moving legislation is completely reversed in the blatant uh, opposition to everything they're doing. So you'll literally have votes that are 100% party line, all the Republicans and all the Democrats. And you think, like we talked about earlier, you know, can this democracy work? Well, not in that case, because you have a representative voting with their party mm-hmm. versus voting for things that may benefit the people in their district right maybe maybe they want free health care maybe the people in your district probably could use early childhood education for free these these huge issues but because they belong to a particular party they're not allowed to vote for that type of things and you have this dual government that's a hundred percent in opposition if the other one's for something you have no bipartisanship Mm -hmm. and it's it's sad and it's it's there shouldn't be allowed to be party leadership in in any government really because then you have the same system of three or four senators who are senior getting to decide what legislation moves forward what people can and can't vote on and what pieces of legislation they will give them a choice to vote on so even, even if you get elected in, as a senator or a congressman, you're still finding yourself into another structure of uh, responsibilities and obligations to your party. So if you want re-election dollars, if you want to be supported in your candidacy, then you have to play ball. Otherwise, you won't have access to their resources, and that comes with being a part of the party. And that's another reason the two, two-party system is so ingrained in our in our uh, Democracy is because of the money and the resources and the power. They've pull, pulled everything down to a science. Like these two major parties know how to get voters. They know how to pull together a platform and they know how to be successful.
0: I agree with you. It sounds sad.
1: Yeah, no, it's super sad. I mean, yeah. clever on their part, but it, it, I don't, I can't envision a path out of it uh-huh. minus and minus you know some huge event or some you know un like if trump were to follow through with his plan to start his own party the patriot party so you think of every trump supporter who 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 is a diehard trump supporter may have voted republican their whole life now they're shifting to this new party so they're only going to support candidates who are on that platform so then you could have the emergence of a third party and maybe they'll win some seats like the tea party did uh, in i think it was 2009 that era Mm -hmm. but even the tea party was eventually voted out of office
0: i see yeah so between the the two parties that we have now in existence what is the major difference between the two not getting into specifics
1: uh, I think just in general, you can describe the two parties as progressive and conservative.
0: So what does and that mean?
1: A, a conservative is someone who is fiscally responsible, someone who uh, is inclined to let people solve their own problems. They're in favor of less government, less restrictions, less red tape, uh, more business freedom, more laissez-faire type, type uh economy that the strong will survive they'll come out if you can't afford health care maybe you're not working hard enough that whole mentality uh this is obviously just very subjective and this is my my interpretation of what it means
0: Mm -hmm.
1: and but to be democratic or to be progressive is to be supportive of inclusion to be supportive of of different backgrounds and different cultures coming together on worker rights um, on healthcare, on mental health, on reforming the systems that are in place uh, that we all currently have to live in, reforming the the structural um, issues we have, um, and really focusing on people and workers. Mm-hmm. I feel like that that's what the being progressive and what democratic uh, what the Democratic Party largely uh, has and always has been their base of voters are the blue collar workers. Um, and those who make a minimum wage, those folks who have union jobs, those are all solid and reliable democratic voters. Mm-hmm. So their interests are usually in the forefront. Um,
0: well, one of your descriptions of the Republican Party is is less government. So um, what does that mean? And is the Democratic Party in favor of more government? What does that look like?
1: So I, the best way I could explain less government would be that some state legislatures meet every other year and they do so for a limited number of time. It's not their full-time job. Mm -hmm. They do other things, but every other year they'll meet and pass a budget and maybe pass a few pieces of legislation, but that's it. So if you think about and contrast California who meets uh, every year quite a bit, uh, and each member, individual member, can pass about 40 pieces of legislation. So that's 40 times about 120 members, um, which is a whole lot. Um, I'm majoring in law, uh, not math, but it's a whole lot. Yeah. Uh, so, and every single piece of legislation does something different. They either reforms, parking law, criminal justice code, penal code, starts a new program, uh, tasks an agency with creating new regulations. Um, It it does so many different things. So we have what some would consider over government, or we're just doing way too much, we need to pump the brakes, leave things alone. um, Wait for the major things to come up, and just do those things. But yeah, arguably, it's all those things need to change, and need to happen, and sometimes there are bad ideas. But I feel like there's a constant need and, and mindfulness that we need to keep reforming, we need to keep moving with progress, we need to keep adjusting things and statutes that don't no longer serve us. I think that that's what it means to be progressive, mm-hmm. versus and, and having more government versus less legislation. Let's not change things as quickly. Um Let's not have a law for every little thing. You know, we don't need to have all of these social programs and paying for all of these after school programs. You know, parents will have, they'll have to figure that out themselves.
0: Figure it out themselves. So that's the independence part that you mentioned on the Republican side. Figure yes. it out themselves. And on the Democrat side, you say people coming together and working on things together.
1: Yeah. The idea that if you can't stand up, we'll lift you up.
0: hmm Do you see a a way that we could have both?
1: I do. I I honestly have very conservative friends. I have Republican friends and we believe the same basic principles on so many subjects uh, that if we served in a legislature together, we would get things done all the time, almost entirely on a bipartisan way, just because we believe in core core progressive ideas and and the biggest one is that we recognize that the way government works now does not work for people uh it doesn't work in any sort of functional way so we're totally open to just reforming systems and making them work for people Mm -hmm. so if if we were at a legislature we wouldn't have to have this sort of dual ideology because we would have this common ground of everything needs reform let's make it work for everyone at the table mm-hmm. um and for me of course uh, that always at my core pushes me to be pr- a progressive democrat is that you know i'm a person of color and largely the only party who really advocates for uh just recognizing my humanity or or equal rights or um you know equal ability to be a citizen in america are the is the democratic party you Uh don't see the same push from republican groups or conservative think tanks when someone's shot or someone's killed the nra doesn't speak out when um, the guns are taken away from average black citizens or or any other group it's it's only for You know those whites the you know white people of america and i feel like for me my concept of what it means to be conservative is just this entity that only serves people who look and reflect that idea of what america is which is you know a white middle-class person who makes money maybe has a small business uh, and has never needed any sort of service in their life
0: Mm -hmm. So that's basically their idea of, uh, I don't like the term they because it groups everybody in one and and I think that's Uh. that's part of the big issue that we've been touching on is that it, yeah it 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 lumps everybody together into and, and i should I,
1: I should say paradigm and I, I learned paradigm as just a whole system of thinking mm-hmm. and, and when i when i think of racism or when i think of uh, the democratic party or the idea of what it means to be conservative or progressive it's really a paradigm it's no individual person it's collective thought and collective action
0: mm-hmm.
1: and that can all happen implicitly or explicitly without even knowing it, you could be participating in, you know, racism or, or Uh participating in, um, you know, being conservative.
0: Because it's, you're, you're operating from within your paradigm.
1: Yeah, which is just living your life.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Do you know uh, anything about blockchain technology?
1: I don't actually.
0: I'll, uh, I'll explain it to you really quick. It's a, I've been practicing how to explain this, so it's simple to understand, because if you get, you know, technology enthusiasts trying to explain it, usually it's too complicated. But it's a way of storing information in a way that can't be changed, so immutable. If you imagine Moses coming down from meeting God with the Ten Commandments set in stone, right? That's a that's a, a terminology for something that can't be changed. It's set in stone. So uh if you imagine it, that there's a way of storing data that can't be altered. So once it's written it can't be changed. I'm not going to describe how it's done but because that'll get too technical but if you just imagine that there's a way to do that. You know, you can't go in and change this data once it's written even though it's digital because when it changes the data it it changes all the data along the way. So you can't just change one thing because it'll affect all the data that's stored after it. And and this is this is reinforced by a way of uh, distributing the data. So if anything gets changed, it's compared to data that's stored over here. So it might be stored uh, distributed amongst a thousand servers and in order to change something you'd have to change it on every server along the way so so immutable data is one aspect of blockchain technology and the other is decentralized it it doesn't need anybody to to maintain it or or store it or keep it so it's stored on private servers all over the internet <laughs> and this is this is the thing that's really unique about it is it doesn't need an uh, agency to maintain or monitor it like uh, it was it was developed along with block uh, bitcoin cryptocurrency technolo- technology so this this blockchain technology was evolved so that this cryptocurrency could exist and there's no government agency or any agency that monitors bitcoin or any cryptocurrency it just it just exists in these ledgers that are stored in this blockchain technology that's distributed all over around the world now so this can be used to one of the reasons we need these agencies banks to maintain our financial records or governments to maintain our policies and procedures and votes is to to build trust that this data is kept and it's safe you you trust your bank to keep your financial records I think everybody can agree with that that your financial records are safe within a bank but now this technology removes the need for that so the trust happens in the peer-to-peer interaction it's a it's a, a agreement you know we send a code to each other saying yes I'm going to give you this money and then that's stored in this transaction that can't be altered so my concept as I was journaling on my birthday weekend and I, I don't usually get interested in politics or um, think about it a lot, but because of the recent this was two years ago, because of the way things have been going, it it was on my mind quite a bit. And I was journaling about politics and I thought of one use of this technology is to store votes in policies and procedures. And, you know, I I don't see this as a replacement for any (laughs) government agency that we have, you know, you're not just going to go in and change an existing system, but it can be used on uh, for small communities that can adopt this system. Like, for example, I'm in several community clubs and we can adopt a system of voting and storing these policies and procedures that don't require a central agency to support it. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah, I know it does. And as you were explaining, just the original of yeah. of what blockchain is, it seems like a, a solid way to store votes.
0: Yeah, yeah, I think so. So I started to envision a system, a voting platform, you know, and then there's, there's a lot of um, concepts that are required for a voting platform like you need a community you need membership and how our votes tallied how our votes um, um, processed you know are they anonymous or not and there's all these different ways of creating this system and that introduces in itself bias because whoever's programming or designing it determines how it's going to work and and then so once again you're uh, creating a bias, sy- a bias system and I wanted to completely remove bias from it and the only way I could think of doing this is that you have to have a little bit because there's basic concepts of, of how voting works. You know you need a community and you need members that are allowed to vote in that community you need policies and well, candidates to vote on and then you need a way of voting and in the way of tallying the vote. So these are the basic concepts. And I started to envision that um, Little programs can be created to do this in different ways. So the community that adopts this platform can Vote on how the platform works they can, they can vote on how membership is is determined in their community and they can vote on how votes are cast you know is it done anonymous anonymously or not and how the votes are stored and how the votes are tallied so all of this can be shaped by the community based on voting another concept that comes along with blockchain is this concept of smart contracts which are programs uh, or pieces of programming code that's stored in blockchain so this this group of there this this batch of code is because it's stored in blockchain it can't be altered so it always functions the same way so these little smart contracts can be plugged into this voting platform to determine how it works based on the votes of the people in in the community so the the community basically says we want anonymous voting you know they they choose this smart contract this this plug-in based on their votes and now their their community functions in that way and and uh, so that's when i came up with the idea for a true democracy because this gives this gives the people not only the power to to vote on their policies but also how The voting happens within their community and um, so that's that's my concept
1: yeah it's interesting um i feel like there are times when local politicians will try to include people um i remember vallejo put on the had like a local online ballot for Um, citizens to choose what they wanted certain funds to go go for um, and whatever the majority of those people who responded did, then that's the way, what they used the money for.
0: Okay, this when was this done?
1: Um, yikes, a few years ago.
0: Okay, did it work I out? Remember,
1: it did. I mean, I don't. I'm sure it wasn't a huge uh, response that they got. Um, I'm sure now, in in the COVID era, they would get a lot more people responding and have giving feedback on where to use funds, what policies mm-hmm. to, to incorporate.
0: Yeah, that's basically the concept, and I don't I don't picture this as a replacement for you know whatever system we have. You know, you're not going to go in and change something overnight, but it's something that can start in small communities and and evolve from there.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, seems like a great idea. Yeah, we'll um, see. Yeah, it'd just be interesting to like. Mm, to distribute it, I yeah. feel like That would have to be definitely marketing and communication, um, just to get people actively involved. Um, but yeah, yeah, it, it could definitely
0: be for yeah. We'll we'll see how it unfolds from here. I'm going to. Um, I've been working on it very slowly because I got a lot of other uh, things to work on in my life, and but I'm making progress, and this podcast is is a part of it. The the, the first true democracy dot global podcast and we'll see maybe I'll I'll do some more and in, in, um, uh, talk to other people if uh, as I get comfortable doing it and this this was very success, su- su- successful I I, uh, I really enjoyed this conversation and I learned quite a bit from you and you're very well spoken and very knowledgeable so it, um, it turned out really great, and maybe we can continue to talk um, in the future about this. Yeah,
1: but. definitely. There's there's a lot of, um, especially now, um, a lot of issues that are at the forefront of people's minds, the idea of identity politics, and, and what role that plays in how they vote, and who they empower to vote for them. Uh, it, it all kind of ties into how people yeah. cast their vote.
0: Yeah, the, the the thing that we have now is uh, evolving technology that can change how how um, how things are run. And mm-hmm. It will in a matter of time. It's just a matter of time. Okay. Well, thank you for talking to me.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And uh, I'll keep in touch, and maybe we'll do it again sometime. Perfect. Thank you for having me. All right, dude.